Good morning and welcome to August the 14th. I appreciate you joining me today. We're in week three of our six-week series, People of Crazy Faith. Uh, so we covered the Abraham Isaac story and last week we talked about Noah. Uh, two people for sure, well three, considering Isaac, people of really crazy faith. This week I was going to talk about David, but some things have happened around us this week. And so I did just a little bit of a shift. We're going to kind of be in the life of David, but we're going to kind of talk about a different guy. So lots of stuff has happened around us this week. In this last week in Wimberley, we've had a wildfire that's been very close to our town. Uh, the church has really stepped up. We had to open as an emergency shelter. And so we did that for a couple of days, and then we started feeding the firefighters that came into the area. And so more on that later, but I was impressed this week with the courage that people had shown. And so uh, I want to talk, we're going to talk today about a guy that showed great courage. Uh, not only crazy faith in the th circumstances, but just really crazy courage in a circumstance. And God commands us to be courageous people. God wants his people to be courageous people. In Joshua 1, 6 through 9, it says this, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is a great passage, and we see several times when we back up into verse 8, it says, uh, observe, uh, observe the book of instruction, don't depart from it, and meditate on it day and night. We've talked about that before, but that word meditate actually in the Old Testament language didn't mean what we think the word meditate means today in our Western language. We think meditate means to be quiet and to be still and to think about something. But this word actually in the original Hebrew meant to utter or mutter or moan the words. Remember that back in this time, the copies of the Old Testament were very scarce. So the Old Testament was primarily transmitted down through families and through people groups by word of mouth. And sometimes there would be readings of the word. They would unroll the scrolls and have readings. But most of the transmission was by word of mouth. So this word meditate doesn't mean just think about it and keep it to yourself. It means mutter, uh, utter the words during the day. A great way to memorize scripture, kind of when we talk it through, then it sinks into that part of our brain that stores it better. Courage is also seen all throughout the stories in the Bible in the behavior of the people of God. 
In 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47, just pick the story out here. And this is David uh, in this story. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, and of course he's talking about Goliath here, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. David was telling Goliath, you know, you're a big guy and you got a big sword and a big spear. I got a big God. So my God is going to trump your sword and your spear. It's kind of like uh, out in West Texas, there was a saying, a guy was so dumb, he brought a knife to a gunfight. Well, little did Goliath know, he brought a sword and a spear into a righteous battle with God Almighty. And his sword and spear uh, was kind of like the knife in the gunfight. It just wasn't going to get him there. Uh, and so David, of course, as the rest of the story goes, slayed Goliath. And then his mighty men went and slayed the other four giants. Remember that when David picked up the stone, uh, to sling at Goliath, he picked up five stones. He picked up five stones out of the river because there were five giants. And so David was like, well, there's five of them. I'm going to need five stones. Man, that's a man of courage. He didn't pick up an extra stone just in case he missed. He knew all he needed was five because he had the Lord God on his side. And then once he took care of business with Goliath, his buddies went and took care of business with the other four giants and then the Philistine army. So we're going to talk a little bit today about one of David's mighty men. I just love this guy. love this story. Uh, you may have heard this story before, and uh, but it's just a great story. So we're going to head off into that. But let's pray. Ask God for some help today. God, just thank you for what you have for us today. God, thank you. Just ask you to give me the right words to say. God, your people... Uh, and that's who is watching today. God, your people, not my people, your people need to hear from you. And so God, for everyone that's watching today, uh, even the nice lady I met uh, today over at the high school, uh, we appreciate her watching every week. God, just thank you for the people that watch us so regularly and, and are so faithful. God, give me the words and uh, to you will go the credit. Uh, just let me say the right things and let all the honor and praise and glory go to you. In Jesus' strong name, amen. So we're going to wade off in today. Our scripture verse is going to be out of 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, we're going to go from uh, verse 8 through 38, but we're going to cut some here and there. Uh, but it's a great story that sets this up. Now, uh, we may talk about David at a different time, too. David did a lot of things in his life that exhibited strength of faith and strength of character. Of course, David did some stuff that was just, uh, well, it was just stupid. I mean, he, he, every once in a while, he just was stupid. And, uh, you know, my grandma used to say, you know, don't be stupid. Well, David was a couple of times, but 
David found favor with God, and God helped him through a lot of things. So we're going to kind of wade into this story today. We're going to talk about the guys that David hung out with, his mighty men. In your life, when you're going through life, you need to have, Jesus had his mighty men. Of course, he had the 12, but of the 12, he had three guys that were uh, were his closest three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, Jesus had uh, a guy that he really relied on. When Jesus would go back home, what, who would he always talk to? He talked to Lazarus. And so Lazarus was Jesus' homie. I mean, that's what we say today in our terms. Lazarus was his homie. He was the guy that Jesus wanted to spend time with when Jesus went back home. But Jesus, So Jesus had Lazarus, and he had his little inner circle of three. Then he had the 12. Uh, when Jesus started doing circles of influence, he had the 12, and then they had the group that went out, and then eventually 120, and the group just grew. But you have to have a circle of people right around you that are your, another term we use today, your BFFs. It's the people that you can talk to. You can use as a sounding board. You can discuss ideas. You can discuss stupid stuff. I mean, you can tell your friends, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And if they're your friends, they're going to say, well, that's just stupid. Don't do that. And these are the people that you listen to. And so you got to have this group. And David had a group of mighty men. Uh, so verse 8, these are the names of David's warriors. Josheb, uh, the chief of the officers, he wielded his spear against 800 men that he killed at one time. Uh, pretty good battle victory there, 800 at one time. After him, Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of an Aoite, who was among the three warriors with David when they defied the Philistines. The men of Israel retreated in the place they had gathered for battle. But Eleazar stood his ground and attacked the Philistines until his hand was tired and stuck to his sword. He was got so tired from fighting that he couldn't let go of his sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the troops came back to him, but only to plunder the dead. After him was Shema, son of Agi, the Heriot. The Philistines had assembled in formation where there was a field full of lentils. The troops fled from the Philistines, but Shema took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Are, are, you, seeing the, are you seeing the theme of this? The Lord brought about these victories. Verse 13, three of the 30 leading warriors went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, while a company of Philistines was camping in the Raphaim Valley. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and a Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David was extremely thirsty and said, If only someone would bring me water to drink from the well at the city gate of Bethlehem. Well, the Philistine garrison was at the city gate of Bethlehem, so this was going to be a tough request. So three of the warriors broke through the Philistine camp and drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. They brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. David said, Lord, I would never do such a thing. 
Is this not the blood of men who risked their lives? So he refused to drink it. Such were the exploits of the three warriors. Abishai, Joab's brother and son of Zeruiah, was the leader of the three. He wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them, gaining a reputation among the three. Was he not more honored than the three? He became their commander, even though he did not become one of the three. And then in verse 20, we get to our hero today. Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, was the son of a brave man from Kabzeel, a man of many exploits. Benaiah killed two sons of Ariel of Moab, and he went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Remember that. He also killed an Egyptian, an impressive man. Even though the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went down to him with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and then killed him with his own spear. These were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, who had a reputation among the three warriors. He was the most honored of the thirty, but he did not become one of the three. David put him in charge of his bodyguard. And then in verses 24 to the end, it will tell you the names of all of the 30. But our hero for today, our, our man of great courage and man of great faith for today is Benaiah. I want to recommend a book to you. Uh, there's a great pastor in the Washington, D.C. area named Mark Batterson, and he has written a lot of great books. Uh, they're, they're short, they're easy reads, which appeals to me because uh, I have attention span problems. Uh, but he wrote a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And it's the story of the courage of Benaiah. And uh, it's a great book. It, it's a must read. And there's some great uh, examples of faith that are set forth in the book. So the question where I want to kind of start today, have you ever wondered how you happen to be at a certain place, at a certain time, on a certain day. Have you ever thought, why in the world would I be in this place today at this time with the event that is about to happen? We wonder about those things and we think, how in the world did we come to be in that place at that time? But you know who doesn't wonder about that? God doesn't wonder about that. God will put us in the places he needs us to be on just the right day, at just the right place, at just the right time to do the work that God has for us to do. Now we have to be ready. We have to be ready to do the work that God has for us. But once we're ready, we will find ourselves in some interesting situations. And we'll be kind of scratching our head thinking, how in the world did this happen? Well, it happens because God is in control and God knows what's going on. There's a saying that's been around in the movies and everything for a long time, no guts, no glory. And it means that if you don't have the fortitude to risk something, you may not win and get the glory that is ahead of you. If you stumble across a situation and you're always, you find yourself always backing up thinking, I just, you know, I just don't know if I can do that. Rethink that. 
rethink that. There are going to be things that God puts in your path that are going to require great courage. They're going to require guts. And you need to get through those situations. You need to get through them to prove you can. You also need to get through those situations to show off the mighty glory of God. God will use you. Just be courageous and step out in those things. Is our life really written down based on what we do? Is, is what we do what's going to be the judge of us? Or is it about what we don't do? You know, there are sins of commission. There are things that we do that are sinful and we, because, and we do them. Those are sins of commission. And, and we do that some. I mean, we're all sinful creatures, of course. There are also sins of omission. There are, there are things that come up that we don't do. And there are things that God wants us to do. So to not do those things that God puts in front of us, to not step out in courage, to step out with guts, is in some cases a sin of omission. And frankly, omission may be worse than commission uh, because we won't know. We'll miss outcomes that, and we'll, we'll miss great things that would have come to us and great glory that would have gone to God because we didn't step out in faith and do something. Uh, Joel Osteen, a pastor down in Houston, uh, tells this story a lot of a, uh, a man that gets to heaven <clears throat> and uh, St. Peter takes him to this big warehouse and he opens up the warehouse and it's filled with just box after box after box after box. And the man notices the boxes have people's names on them. And he said, what are, what are these things? And St. Peter tells him, these are the blessings that God had for these people that they never got to. Um, other, other pastors have said that cemeteries are filled with unwritten books and undone stories and undone tasks. There are things in life that we just don't get to, and there's blessings that God has in store for us, but we have to step forward in faith to get those things to come true. How, uh, how sad would it be? I don't really think we're going to end up in heaven, and I don't think St. Peter's going to show me a box with my name that has blessings that I didn't get. But, it, but if he does, if I see my box, I want my box to be empty. I want to make sure that every blessing that God has for me, that every time God puts something in front of me, I respond. And I get that blessing that's coming so that God gets the glory for the blessing. I want my box to be empty. God loves an underdog. Um, and if God were to walk into a casino in Las Vegas, you can go into the sports book at the Mirage. It's really a big, huge, cool room. It's black and it's got all this stuff on the wall and all these TVs and all these people sitting around betting. And if you want to bet on something, you just go up to the desk and tell them, I want to bet on this, and they'll figure out odds for it. God, if God were to walk up and buy a ticket at the window, he'd bet on the horse with the biggest odds. God loves big odds because big odds has great reward. So 
when you have a chance, take those circumstances that have the big odds. I'm not saying go down to the track and put a bet on a horse, but uh, it's fun to watch a horse race and just cheer for the horse with the biggest odds, the biggest underdog, or maybe under horse in this, in this case. I hear people say sometimes that God won't give me more than I can do. And that's just wrong. That is wrong. God will, all, God will give me things all the time that I can't do in my own strength. Think about our hero, Benaiah. On that day, with that lion, in that cave on a snowy day, God gave Benaiah a lion. And the odds of, of Benaiah beating that lion were pretty big odds. But Benaiah waded down into that snowy cave and fought that lion and killed him. A lot of times it's about our perception. It's about we talk ourselves into thinking a situation is bigger than it can be. It's just bigger than we can accomplish. Benaiah could have thought that on that day in that snowy pit with that lion, but he didn't. He took his weapon, he went down in that cave, fought his way down through that snow and killed that lion and showed great courage, great faith that God would get him through that. It's not about, life isn't about what I can do. Because if, if it's something that I can do in my own power, it's pretty easy, really. God is about what I can do through him. Not what I can do in my power, but what I can do in the power of God and when God puts me in a circumstances. When I rely on God, I can do great big things. And God will give me some great big things to do if I'll step out in courage. You know what God will also do? He'll give me some really great small things. He'll give me things that don't seem to be all that big a deal. They might be small, but in the end, they really turn out to be great small things. You know, it's, it's not about whether I'm going to face a lion. It's not about how big the lion is. Or it's not about whether I have a spear. It's about the size of my God. And my God can fix any situation. I learned a bunch of things this week. We had... Uh, in the wildfires, I saw firefighters from all over the United States that came to help us here in Little Wimberley. Those people were heroes. They walked down into that fire, and they, they were probably a little bit fearful, but boy, they didn't show it. They walked down in that fire like it was a lion in a pit on a snowy day, and they fought it, and they beat it. They were heroes. They stepped out in faith that they knew they could conquer this. They showed great guts. There's some other people I've been around this week. Uh, we Every year we try to do something for our local school teachers. We call it Feed the Teachers. So every morning this week we're taking meals to the teachers at the different campuses. Those teachers are heroes. Those teachers are going into those schools and defying some great odds in certain cases. And they are putting themselves out there to teach the young people that are coming. There's a lot of kids that don't want to be at school and don't want to be taught. But those teachers, those heroes, are in those classrooms prepared and ready 
to teach those kids. Every day they walk in the door of that school, they're heroes. It's just a blessing to be around them. It's a blessing to be able to give them a breakfast like we did today. I was around some more heroes in the last 10 days. When we needed to be a shelter and when we needed to feed firefighters and when we needed to feed teachers, we had church members, young and old. Uh, Melinda put out a call last Friday that we needed to feed dinner to the firemen. Uh, she put out the call at about 2 o'clock and by 3 o'clock we had 32 volunteers here making dinner for the firefighters. Uh, parents with kids and some of our older members, those people stepped out in faith this week. They stepped up and stepped out to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's being a hero. That's being a hero for King Jesus. Church members, when they forget about looking inward and they start looking outward, how to be the church, how can we be the church in the world that God has around us? They'll become heroes in that. And they have in the last 10 days. And I'm proud of them. I'm really proud of them. At the end of the story, it's not about me getting the credit. It's not about Beniah getting the credit for killing the lion. It's not about the school teachers or the firefighters that step in those situations getting the credit. It's about the credit and glory that goes to God. When we step up and we step out in faith, when we go into those circumstances, it may make us feel good, but the glory goes to God. Because without God, we wouldn't have gotten through it. Without God, David would have never killed Goliath, and his mighty men wouldn't have killed the other giants. Benaiah wouldn't have killed the lion, and those teachers wouldn't conquer those difficulties they face every day. Everything we do, the glory goes to God. Let's pray. God, just thank you for what you have for us. God, just continue, just let us be prepared and let us go into these situations that you give us. Let us go forward with faith and courage, and God, let us go forward with guts. Let us step out even when we feel uh, a little trepidation in our soul. And God, when we do, uh, just let the glory go to you. God, thank you for your son Jesus, who obviously went to the cross for each one of us. God, thank you for the courage and the faith he showed when he did that. God, thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you especially that King Jesus is on the throne. In Jesus' strong name, amen.